Welcome to the 37th episode of Dialika, a podcast between two friends about the latest in politics, society, and feminism in Indonesia and the world. I'm Stephanie Tangkilisan. And I'm Sweden Lee. And this week, we're going to start by talking about last week's WhatsApp controversy, where the government wanted to block WhatsApp because it heard that a lot of pornographic gifts are being spread on its platform. The Indonesian government ended up not banning WhatsApp, but they did ban the tenor GIF keyboard. But we're going to talk about this news as a way to discuss about the pornography laws in general and what it is and how it has been applied in the past. When the Indonesian government tries to enforce this law, it's actually misusing it and appropriating it for its own patriarchal means. It might seem like a trivial topic and like we're defending pornography, but not really because we think this is a much bigger argument that needs to be made about how pornography laws have been used to suppress freedom and been enforced in such a haphazard way that it fundamentally attacks Indonesians' freedom of speech. You might be wondering why in the in talking about this we're not talking about UITE or the cyber laws. That is a whole nother ball game that can easily encompass another episode so we don't want to go there but Rest assured, we're probably going to talk about it in the future if our government is anything to oh. follow by. Oh yeah, we'll definitely talk about that, hopefully next time with a legal expert. So, A return of Pram? If you like that, let us know. <laughs> On that note, here's to it. So to recap what has happened over the last few weeks around this issue, there were a few viral messages being spread across various WhatsApp groups that seems to show that there's a high number of what they call pornographic content in GIF format in WhatsApp. And a lot of these parents and users have reported this objectionable content to the Ministry of Communications and Information Technology. And in response to the many complaints about this kind of content, the ministry has actually issued um, threats and warnings to WhatsApp and de facto Facebook, who owns WhatsApp, as well as third-party GIF platforms like Tender and Giphy to basically say, you need to take all of this down within the next 48 hours or we're going to block you entirely. Mm-hmm. When the ministry came out with this kind of statement, a lot of people, a lot of Indonesian netizens were freaking out because... Yeah, because basically a lot of Indonesian telecommunication really relies heavily on WhatsApp. And um, WhatsApp group is like pretty much an Indonesian way of life in terms of like you're in all of the WhatsApp groups and that's like who you're friends with and like all your family is on WhatsApp. So it's um, like none of us really use text messages or we don't really text each other. Yeah, WhatsApp is the primary way and method of communication. So the idea that they block it over a few GIFs is kind of disproportionate and ridiculous. And, you know, I think, especially in Indonesia, it's not only one of the largest markets for Facebook, it is definitely one of the largest markets for WhatsApp. So when the government threatens to shut down WhatsApp, it's affecting hundreds and millions of users. 
You know, it's not just affecting eh, like a city or two. It's affecting the entire country. And especially, I think, in Indonesia, where free speech is not always there. Mm -hmm. WhatsApp, with its encrypted channels, has been a really useful way for a lot of groups, for better or for worse, of different sides of the uh, ideological spectrum, Mm -hmm. um, have used it to talk about issues that might be sensitive, might be taboo, might be controversial. Right. As a result of this threat, Facebook's response was to say that, you know, we are not the provider of this pornographic gifts. They're all through Tenor and Giphy keyboards and their platform. So um, what the Ministry of Communications and Information Technology is planning to do is to ban those keyboards. Mm-hmm. And on November 8th, um, Tenor is currently being blocked. If you were in Indonesia and you try to access the Giphy keyboard, it would be like, oh, your internet's not working. It's ridiculous. Uh, and other ridiculous news that Sweden found is that a Muslim vocational school, SMK Munhamre 5 in Jember, East Java, hundreds of students deleted WhatsApp from their phones as a form of protest against the pornographic material. Teenagers actively deleting WhatsApp. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's unheard of. And what's also alarming about that story, actually, is that they deleted WhatsApp not because they found pornographic material. They heard media reports and all this hubbub about the issue. And they're like, oh, we should we should delete it because obviously what the TV guys are saying must be true. And so we need to uphold our morality and let's do it in a big public manner so that we get praised for it. <laughs> Kids these days, you know. Yeah. And the latest on this issue right now is that the government is planning to meet or is meeting with executives from companies like Google and Twitter to discuss the so-called problem of pornographic content on their platform further. And the government in particular has backed off WhatsApp and decided not to ban them. And and as of this week, the Tenor Giphy keyboard is back in action so people can send GIFs through WhatsApp again. On the surface, it looks like the issue is done and dusted. But as we know with the Indonesian government, these kind of decisions can come back and bite us really quickly, right? So this issue is nowhere near resolved, in my opinion. I just think it's really strange that, like, let's go back to the absurdity of whose job it is to find, um, to take issue with the most random things. Like, how do you even find out that there is lewd content on GIFs, like, yeah. The primary way I use GIFs is to, like, send my friends cute dog gifs and, like, make fun of them. And just really ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Terry Crews. I use it for Terry Crews. Various amazing <laughs> reactions. Um, I feel... I use it to, like, spread the latest jokes from, like, TV shows or, like, late night shows. It's just uh, so frustrating. I'm sorry. Like, it's just, like... Why are they trying to ruin our people's fun? Like, it's... They're the anti-fun police. This is just so trivial. Like, (laughs) who in their right mind thinks this is a priority for the Indonesian government to do? Yeah. Why why Stephanie and I are so worked up about this issue is because at the crux of all of this controversy or non-controversy around WhatsApp and GIFs and pornographic material are laws that allow the government to take a really wide interpretation of what counts as offensive material and what the government can do. Mm to stop it i think i'm just so frustrated by this issue because it's always like what is next right like i know losing the gif keyboard is a small thing 
But it's just like consistently what freedoms are we going to gradually lose over time in our own country. Moral policing should never be a strategy for any kind of government. Like, we, you know, some people might be saying, oh, it's Jokowi right now. It's a liberally minded president. So we shouldn't be worried because they'll do the right thing. Yes. But what if it's not them, right? Like we, we ask this question a lot in a lot of our episodes. What if these laws are in place and the people in power are no longer people who care about your free speech and about your rights? Then that's the real issue where they can just abuse the power and turn even casual speech into some objectionable thing that you can be thrown into jail for or even worse. Right, so to explain to our listeners what the law, what the uu pornography and pornoaxi is, Stephanie, do you want to take it away? So pornography is defined by the government as any sexual material that is made by humans in form of sketch, illustration, photos, writing, noises, voice, moving images, animation, cartoons, lyrics, conversation, body movement statues and any form of communication through mass media and or shows in public and any of these things that can arouse sexual desire and or violate moral values in society is pornography (laughs) if you couldn't tell from the way stephanie was reading it was a long list that the government had taken a lot of time to come up with and talk about a broad definition for pornography right yeah and it was actually designed by lawmakers from the democratic party and there were also representatives from two other parties pks or the prosperous justice party and uh, the moon and star party partai bulan bintang and pks in particular is a what most people would consider the most conservative islamic party in government right now yeah This bill was bipartisan, and it was part of the coalition. There was political appetite, basically, Mm -hmm. in um, the government trying to tackle this issue, even though it has so many problems. And as a result, you know, most pornography sites are not accessible in Indonesia. But so are a lot of, like, organizations that teach sexual education because, you know, sketches discussing HIV prevention falls under the purview of... What some people call sexually arousing content. (laughs) I mean, if that's what arouses you, then you have bigger issues (laughs) than pornography. Yeah. And um, so they've used this kind of like arousing... Argument. (laughs) Argument. um, To say that that women in Aceh straddling a motorbike is sexually arousal. If you don't cover your body with a headscarf and show your hair that can be mengbangkitkan hasrat seksual or you know get something up all this different stuff <laughs> yeah so um it's definitely vague in a dangerous way although we're kind of laughing about it there was a failed constitutional court challenge and a legal scholar uh Gioni Arianto has argued that 
this law was a clear attempt to standardize the moral values of our society. Yeah. And I think what's important to note is whenever you're talking about what is sexual arousing in our culture and our society, it mostly circulates about policing women's bodies and what parts of our bodies are shown. Um, you're not going to say that a man's neck is arousing. Oh, God, is it not arousing, Stephanie? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the people who are essentially going to start categorizing things as pornographic would generally find a man's collarbone arousing. Yeah. And I think, you know, this law has survived multiple legal challenges, which has kind of bolstered the government. And we should note that it is being used by now two different presidencies. So it is about giving the government some sort of precedent to interpret what it calls pornography in a very loose term. So we already kind of talked about how this law penalizes and polices women's bodies. But the way that there's this, um, there's a lot of feminist analysis on how the law is male yeah. or is created essentially based on the life experiences of men rather than a woman. So that's definitely an issue here. Like <laughs> the pornography law is codified in a way to like the woman's body is seen as something that corrupts society. Mm-hmm. Even though it says pornography, the basis of like what ends up being police most of the time is a woman's freedom to be a person in the world in a in a very hot country. Yes, <laughs> like one of my favorite women's march, Jakarta sign is um is held by a teenager who said uh, to wear shorts in a tropical country is common sense. Mm-hmm. Also, the way that the law has been implemented in the past has definitely put the shaming of any kind of pornography action, such as the Luna Maya case or the Habib Rizik and Firza Hussein case, all of the shaming and all the images that are going viral are the women's bodies. And for our listeners to briefly explain about what Stephanie's talking about when she talked about the Luna Maya case and the Habib Rizik case, uh, both of them are cases of, I guess, in the case of the Luna Maya scandal, it was a leaked sex tape between Luna Maya, a popular actress, and Ariel from the band Peter Pan. And that was a controversial case because it was the first public case that really tested the limits of this law, the Uwe Pornography. And with the Habib Rizek case, if you've heard of that name, we've talked about him in various episodes of this podcast. He's the leader of the Islamic Defenders Front, or the FPE, an extremist Islamic group in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. And he was caught under the Uwu pornography for having steamy sex chats with Firza Hussein, a woman who is not his wife. And there were a lot of uh, nude photos being exchanged. And because of the increasing scrutiny on him. Habib Rizik fled to Saudi Arabia and is now in self-imposed exile because he doesn't want to come back and be tried under the pornography law. And so in that sense in particular, right, which this case just happened last year, Firza Hussein, being the only one of this case who's in Indonesia, has been so publicly shamed, slut-shamed, and basically hung out to dry by the police, by the media, by the government. Mm -hmm. If you read Foucault, uh, a French philosopher who wrote The History of Sexuality, um, his big thing is the more sex and sexuality is repressed, the more people talk about it and the more mm-hmm. kind of like the more it becomes sexy to people, right? So that's definitely an issue here. Like the more you start 
thinking of sexuality and controlling sexuality, the more it becomes such a taboo thing that becomes intriguing to people. Yeah. So it's smart, but is it right? So part of the reason why we want to talk about the pornography law and its impact in Indonesian society for now almost 10 years since its inception is that not only is it not necessarily preventing the dissemination and proliferation of pornography because people are people. <laughs> I don't think any kind of law can stop people from being horny people. Um, like, I can get why the government wants to have a pornography law being a Muslim majority democracy. Like I get it in the sense like I can understand their logic why they want to have such a law. But the way it's being enforced is so arbitrary and so ridiculous and heavy handed without necessarily a fair perspective on what kind of crime is being perpetrated, what kind of impact is being perpetrated. It's not only patriarchal in its enforcement Mm -hmm. but it's also very moralistic like it's not even like they're deciding to ban and regulate child porn which i completely understand and which i think they should do but the fact that they're spending time on this and energy and resources on this which to me just signals a greater turn towards like conservatism and all of that stuff yeah i was gonna i was gonna ask like do you think part of it is that it's an easy sort of like it's an easy thing to police in order to push a religious agenda. Absolutely. It's actually interesting, right? Like some of the uh, most recent stats about what the Ministry of Communication and Information Technology has done. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, according to the stats, they said that they've blocked 800,000 websites as of December of last year. And 90% of that is pornographic material or gambling applications. Uh, both there of which... There are a lot of porn sites out there. Yeah, but it's interesting because both of which have a clear uh, religious motivation behind banning it, right? And as opposed to, you know, banning like fake news accounts and hoax sites, which I would argue has a much more tangible impact on our society and the democracy and the government than the pornographic material. I think the point is that we're not talking about pornography in um, the sense, I think I understand the feminist criticism of pornography as well in the sense of like pornography can be demeaning to women and the industry in general can be very messed up for women who go through it um and it's also definitely an industry that teaches men to have unrealistic expectation of women and unrealistic expectation of sex the point is that we i'm personally pretty tired of these kind of ridiculous government oversight type actions where they're literally banning a GIF keyboard that 90% consists of cats and clips from movies and TV shows. So this to me seems like an infringement on, on our freedom of speech and rights to use the internet as a net neutral place. Mm-hmm. The, like, the idea is that you know they've already banned Vimeo, they've already banned Reddit, they've already banned Tumblr on the basis that they circulate um, pornographic material even though they themselves are not pornographic content providers so they're penalizing platforms not just penalizing publishers right and to me that's scary because there's also no exact basis through which this process is adjudicated and processed it's just like 
it seems to me also like just some intern, some guy in the back of the ministry, like, okay, this has part, like, click block on the entire site and ability to access information for 200 plus million people. Yeah. Like, there should be a process of which also, like, people can appeal, like, uh, platforms can appeal to get unbanned, right? Because technically, they've repealed the ban against Vimeo, but Vimeo is still mostly banned by various internet providers because there is no process. Mm -hmm. And the only reason why WhatsApp is not banned, the only reason why, you know, YouTube was also able to push back is because there's such popular outcry. And there's just creating a system in which the small content providers, like, let's say, uh, girlofeminism.com, where all this HIV AIDS instructional websites, they're not going to be able to sue the government of Indonesia to give back their platform. And there's no one going to be lining up the door to help these sites get unblocked. Yeah. So to me, it's just kind of like a tyranny on a country, on my country, that I feel has such a fragile relationship with freedom of speech. Just to add on that as well, I think it also opens the door for the politicizing of these platforms, right? Like when you start to police channels like WhatsApp, who knows, maybe in the future, YouTube, Twitter, whatever, then you're also policing people's conversations. And I can totally see political parties, extremist groups, et cetera, et cetera, Mm -hmm. using these opportunities to sort of like take control of the conversation and steer it away from conversations about democracy about real issues and then more towards about like oh look at this avalanche of immoral material that's coming through technology let's block all of it let's stop people from having the ability to talk to each other and talk and save channels let's just put government oversight on everything right and in the last few years we've seen how extremist groups can very easily co-opt the national conversation and i the pessimistic political wonk in me is very skeptical about what the future would be if the government has its way in regulating and monitoring these channels very rigorously on their own interpretation of patriarchal justice. (laughs) Not trying to be pessimistic, but... I mean, we have a right to be. Like, our country has such a fragile relationship with freedom of speech that I think if we don't get continually angry and stay vigilant, we don't know what will come next that is true like it's so easy to normalize things right like yeah like it's so easy to be like oh it's just not really a big deal this is just a gif keyboard but i don't know i just think we have to keep pushing back otherwise where's it gonna end Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, delica.id. Music credits to John Dealey, Lee Rosevere, and of course, Broke for Free. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica. If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com 
or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and our Twitter. Please follow us in these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at Pod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's Steph Tank. That's S-T-E-P-H-T-A-N-G-K. Thank you again, and see you guys next time. Bye!